Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. Besides. Yes, sir. Do other stuff. All the other stuff. Many of the other things. What's happening in X-Factor? What's happening with Wolverine? And some other junk. And some other junk. X-Factor number 72 is an issue that we are going to talk about. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good one, I thought. Oh, really? Yeah? I I have an opposite opinion. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. So the, I mean, do you want to go over the, the cover deed, the, you know, the, all that date stuff that you like to do, Adam? No. Okay. Perfect. I don't do that on B sides. <laughs> it shows how much I've been paying attention. <laughs> so, uh, it's a Larry Stroman cover who, as we've talked about, has his own very distinct style. And when I was younger, and I'm sure I've mentioned this many times before, I didn't care for it. I don't mind it now. It's it's like I said, it's a very distinctive style. And art doesn't need to be, you know, one way versus another way, if that makes any sense. As long as it has kind of a style, stylistic approach, as well as uh, a consistent quality to it, I think. So that's my long-winded way of saying I've come around on the art, uh, and I may have purchased this issue when I was a kid, but I'm going to guess, based on the content of this issue, this may have been the last issue I bought. Um, I definitely purchased this issue, and it definitely was my last one. <laughs> um, as we'll get into it, I was not a huge fan. I don't know if um, Peter David is finding his comedic voice, but I was not digging the quippy repartee if you will i thought i was, think some of it is hit or miss i thought it was very forced um when it works it's good when it doesn't work it's uh not the greatest you mentioned off pod over a text message that we completely glossed over um cooper um valerie cooper being dale cooper's right she sister says, we we mentioned it like oh i've got a, a brother in the fbi and he's always you know doing weird things especially this case with a girl in a, in a bag all we called out that it was a twin peaks reference but right. we missed the obvious connection that they're brother and sister well right so my Which is funny i mean continuity wise you know they're not brother and sister but from a silliness perspective, they both share the same last name. They're both in law enforcement. Uh, so it's kind of an obvious joke slash pop culture reference to make. No, it's legit. She said <laughs> that he was her brother. So therefore. <laughs> I'm calling David Lynch right now and asking him if he can uh, if he can validate this connection. Twin Peaks happened in the MCU. <laughs> That'd be amazing if there was actually a Marvel Twin Peaks comics adaptation. I don't believe there was. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, she whenever whenever Valerie Cooper shows up, she will always have a incontinuity brother. <laughs> sure, you can go with that. Played by Kyle McLaughlin. I'm actually a little surprised now that I think about it that nobody's licensed that property for uh, like an ongoing comic book series. I would bet the barrier is David Lynch. Maybe. I mean, there were, Dune was adapted, uh, but I guess that was pretty uh, early on in his career. But I think, you know, a comic adaptation could be pretty 
Amazing. I don't think you have to go to David Lynch to get the Dune property, though. No, that's that's probably true. He doesn't own that. Uh, but I think it'd be pretty interesting, right? I mean, you could the comic itself could take off from the second to last episode. Not saying that the last episode wasn't satisfying conclusion because it was a pretty satisfying conclusion. Uh, but you know, they there was a few things that they just kind of like David Lynch is like, I don't want to do that. One of which was Josie, who is like stuck in the in the hotel. Which was kind of a weird subplot. I don't know if you even remember it, but there's no, I don't. The cliffhanger, I believe, of the episode is kind of like a. I don't know if it's a CGI or just like a composite blend on a, on a green screen, but her face kind of trying to bulge out of one of the um, uh, dresser knobs at that hotel. Oh, yeah, that does ring a bell. Yeah, and then the old guy is kind of like wandering. I can't remember what his name. The guy that found um, Laura Palmer in the plastic. He's wandering around. And he's like, Josie, Josie, where are you? And he's just like wandering around the hotel and everybody else is like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I don't feel like Josie's around here somewhere. <laughs> Anyways, that, not that that's a totally interesting uh, plot point in and of itself, but a comic book, I think, would be able to dive into that as well. It's all the other little threads, um, probably a lot better than the single, what was it, one hour uh, finale and movie that came after it. I just, I would like more Twin Peaks world building. That's all. Still never seen the movie. Well, Fire Walk with me? Yeah. Meh. I should. It's I mean, fine. You got you got to see it to be a completionist. Yeah, I mean it if you watched the series, uh you pretty much know what happens in the movie because it basically just shows you everything that you've heard. Um but now with 10 times more David Bowie. <laughs> infinitely more David Bowie arguably. <laughs> um and and far less Dave, or, um, um, Dale Cooper than than you would imagine, mm. um, but it's still I don't know it's interesting it's very David Lynchy, and uh, yeah you know and then uh, the return they borrow scenes from it and refer back to it so if you're so a co- Mark Frost the co-creator he, that's his name right of uh, yes. Twin Peaks yes. he's written Twin Peaks books yeah I think I knew that and I don't. I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I thought I read somewhere that e. David Lynch was not happy about that. No, I am. I, yeah, I, I would imagine that that's a true statement. But, you know, Mark Frost co-owns the property, so. Right. He can do what he wants. Exactly. So he should start writing comic books. Anyways. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, and in the comics, which would be produced by like image or idw or somebody else uh they'll refer to a government agent named valerie uh that yeah. he's related to but we'll never really they won't say valerie though they'll say uh, uh a superhuman government liaison is my sister and that'll be right. the connection <laughs> which would be great and only those of us who read x factor number 71 would know what he was talking about it's a super deep cut so anyways, this guy here, this book, uh, Multiple Homicide, um, the cover... This cover's busy. There's a too lot busy. of stuff happening here. You got Guido, um, Polaris, Havoc, and Wolfsbane. Uh, it's a weird lineup to put on the cover um, because only three of those characters are prominently featured. I mean, Wolfsbane will be in the issue, but... You killed Madrox, why, says Guido, says Guido for yeah. some reason. Yeah. I don't know who he's talking to. And then you got this whole crowd of people looking on. It's just like they're in the middle of this crowd trying to figure it out. And then a big yellow brick wall in the background. I like the big yellow brick wall. It's nice. But I think, um, I don't remember what the cover of the last issue was, but I think I found a lot of these covers 
to be pretty busy. Uh, and I, compl- I, I and I also wonder, I'm sure this is posted somewhere, but I'm not going to do the research, what the readership of X Factor did after all this uh, switch up and, and kind of the dramatic change in tone and uh, creative staff. Like, did, did readership just fall off the cliff, but they kept it because it was an X book? I don't know. I wonder if something similar happened when X-Force switched over to becoming the mm. more comic-y version of those characters. It's a good question. And I think that series lasted for quite a while. That series spun off into a whole other series. Was that Ecstatics or? Yeah, that was Ecstatics. Yeah. Which is a terrible name. <laughs> Anything you put an X in front of. And I think this series spins off into its own series called X Factor, but that takes a while. What do you mean it spins off into its own series called X Factor? Well, I think Peter David leaves after maybe a year, okay. and then some other people take over, whoever's currently running the X books, and then it ends. And then it reboots again Mm. with uh, Peter David writing it again. Okay. So it starts over at X-Factor number one. Somewhere along the line, and I think I've mentioned this in the past, uh, Havoc will enter an alternate reality in a book called X-Man. Yeah, that also happens. And I think, so what happens with X-Factor is just Havoc is not in it. Oh, because he's... And uh, Jamie Madrox becomes the main character. Interesting. Well, this book opens up with a bunch of police and, well, I guess the creative staff, Peter David, penciled by Larry Stroman, inked by Al Milgram, lettered by Michael Heisler, colored by Glennis Oliver, edited by Bob Harris, chiefed by Tom DeFalco. And everybody's hanging out. You got Ariel O'Hare, who's a a reporter person. Do you think Ariel O'Hare is a reference to April (laughs) O'Neil? Sure. Yes. Okay. I did. she's She's got red hair. I didn't connect that until you just said it but with all the other silliness that's happening in this issue uh 100 ariel o'hare is an homage to april o'neill okay that's what i thought but wasn't sure it'll be interesting if she becomes kind of like a a, a mainstay character much like trish tilby did with the original x-factor she might and and then our x-factor characters are basically the turtles she might rabbit she might <laughs> so she's reporting uh the violent death of Jamie Madrax, who fell three stories out of his apartment after being shot. Somebody is reaching in. I don't know if it's this Ariel O'Neill or the cameraman, but they want to get some video of his dead body, which seems aggressive. Uh, until a cop puts his hand in the camera and says, no, get out of here, you vultures. No more pictures. You can, I can say it here, you can, or I can haul you into jail. Yep. But no more pictures. Meanwhile, Crosstown, maybe. Somebody yells Madrox. I'm going to guess it's Val Cooper. The Rosenfields, the people whose apartment it was, are the people J.B. Madrox is house-sitting for. Oh. That's got to be. So she connects the dots immediately. Right, because the names aren't released yet. But yeah, she, she knows the location. She knows who is there. Well, the the April O'Neill, whose name I just forgot, Ariel O'Hare says that the apartment of Mr. and Mrs. Albert Rosenfield, both of who are presently in Europe, an unidentified friend had reportedly been apartment sitting. So she, so Valerie Cooper connects the dots and says, oh, that's, that's where Jamie Madrox was. So Quicksilver runs in after he hears Val Cooper yell Madrox, and he's like, oh my gosh, you said Madrox's name. Did he put a rubber snake in your coffee? And she's like, he's dead, which... I, I don't know. Tonally, it's it's weird. I mean, I guess it's a thing that could happen, but... 
Well, you know, last issue he was being a prankster. A jokester, yeah, I get it. And uh, Quicksilver has a dry sense of humor. He immediately responds, hmm, must have been a slow news news night. Right, so he it's continues like, oh, to make God, jokes. that's cold. Yeah. It's like it's a cold world, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of silly. And then this, then you get this weird workout scenario where... But he does apologize. He does. Where Guido is getting a back massage from this woman. And it's really weird. I don't, all this is really weird to me. But he is getting... Uh, his, his, loosening up his muscles uh, with this girl who's just basically jumping on his back and walking around. It's like a little backstory for Guido that he his parents were rich or maybe not. I don't know, but he, he somehow uh, got money because they ended up dying. And um, his, so now he has this mansion and he gets all the nicer things in life and his parents scrimped and saved. So I guess maybe they were poor. Right. They their whole and, lives denying mm-hmm. themselves, saving for all their old age, told me to learn from their lesson and then they died. Yeah. And then he had all this money. He didn't want to scrimp and save. So he just spent it all. Then he ran out of money, uh, got a good paying gig from Lila. Cheney. Cheney. <laughs> and that paid the bills for a while, but then that money dried up, and uh, now here he is. And I guess he'll hang out with X Factor for a while because the checks are nice. Yeah, the checks allow him to continue this lavish lifestyle. He offers to let Havoc stay at and Polaris stay at the thing, but they're like, yeah, I want to get their own apartment. But I want to know a couple things. Yeah. Well, what is Rain doing in this? In this photo. Flexing. Just flexing, but she's like standing on a thing. I don't know. It's very confusing. And then what is Lorna Dane doing? Like I've never seen anything like this. So I think it's like a expensive futuristic exercise bike. Although it def- definitely an exercise bike because there's got pedals. But it definitely has the look of like a cable sky sled. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a weird exercise bike. She's up out of the saddle. She's giving it all she's got, I guess. I'm going to guess that Rain is just like, oh, Alex, look at me. Look at, look at, I got muscles and long <laughs> legs. Notice me. It's very strange because she's standing next to Alex and she's um, much shorter than him. Well, here's the other thing. Uh, Larry Stroman is inconsistent with his perspective in my opinion. So the intention may be that rain is maybe a few more feet further back than she actually appears. Cause it does kind of look like she's right next to him. Uh, anyways. And then there's this little line coming out beneath her, which makes me look, it makes me think she's standing on that. Oh yeah. And then she's jumping that, but then she's behind havoc. So it's, that, that shouldn't have been there. It looks like it's a balance beam that she's yeah. kind of um, tiptoeing on, but the balance beam is in front of Alex, but her body is behind Alex's hand. So, yeah, the, that line shouldn't she, be there. She's not on that. Get rid of that to avoid any confusion. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, like I said, there's this bikini-clad lady jumping up and down on Guido's back, and it's just it's weird. It's all very weird. And I guess they're going for this thing that, like, Guido likes the finer things and the pretty things and kind of has a little little thing for Lorna. And, and it points out that there may be trouble in paradise because uh, Alex is like, yeah, I'm going to get my own place. And Lorna's like, uh, don't you mean our own place? And she's like, um, which 
makes me wonder, like, do these people not talk off panel? <laughs> like, shouldn't this have been a discussion? Yeah, this was a little weird just because, um, I don't know, it's pretty assumptive on Lorna's part that they're just going to fall back into the same thing. and Unless, you know, they were out to dinner last night or, you know, a couple nights ago. And, oh, what do you think we should do? What are our plans? You know, how do we do this? Uh, oh, you want to get a place together? Yeah, let's get a place together. And then now today he says it differently but in order for all of that to work you'd have to establish it and that would be an interesting way to sort of create some drama which is what i think they're trying to do here well they follow it up later and when they They follow it up it works but right now it doesn't work and that's when um quillery cooper is ported into the room with quicksilver and lockjaw well, Lockjaw's doing the porting. Well, yeah. But uh, she, and then she slides, she lands on her butt and somebody says, oh good, the comedic relief is here. And it's like, ugh, can we just knock this off? The, the snappy rapport, repartee? No way, this is what, this is what it is. Ugh. Get used to it. A little goes a long way, that's all I got to say. <laughs> and she says, Madrox, Jamie, Jamie. And they're like, what happened? She's like, he's dead. And then there's more jokes, I think. Um... Lorna pushes the crowd out of the way because they quickly teleport over to where Madrox is. Alex yells at her and says, I could have handled that. Right. Here's uh, a it's Quicksilver ch- says trouble in paradise. Yeah. Again, uh, just like what's this? Guido. Guido. So Havoc pulls back the sheet and says, yep, it's Jamie. And then one of the, I don't know, doctors or, or whoever's on scene is like you know this guy no einstein my hobby is looking into random dead bodies and saying it's jamie all right which on its own like take out all, all of those other jokes and just kind of insert that is kind of funny but you're also dealing with the death of a friend this doesn't seem like the right time to be telling jokes or dry sarcastic jokes ah, and then but then comics. he goes on and says oh well it beats collecting comics and it's like oh my god Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Lorna does say, stop it. Stop joking. He was my friend, which is the right thing to say. But like all these people are super rude as they're making jokes around this dead body. Well, this is uh, just how they feel about uh, good old Jamie. And Who, as it turns out, is in the next panel looking behind them. And what I would imagine in a movie would be a comical sort of bit it's a com it's a comedic bit and with this this to me works right because they're like we're gonna he'll be avenged we'll make sure that whoever did this gets punished and then madrox shows up and says absolutely the creep must pay for this you bet the what eh, it's okay but uh, everything think, else is kind of um, dumb madrox could be played by elijah wood sure in this movie sure yeah well, uh, mcu when you get madrox ready <laughs> elijah wood so, Jamie, you're supposed to be dead. He apologizes for that. Uh, and then we cut to, I guess, our bad guy. some or a bad guy. dude named Vic Chalker who has white Professor skin. Professor Vic Chalker. Okay. Who has white skin uh, and gray hair. And he hates mutants. They're always coming back to life, popping out of thin air. Yeah, he really hates them. Yeah, they're mutants all right. I've had it with mutants. And then, but when I'm through with them, there won't be a single mutant left anywhere in the world. And then Valerie's like, you're, but he, so you're not a, and he's a, which let's, let's put this all in perspective, right? Jamie Madrox is the multiple man. So it stands to reason that there'd be a a duplicate of him that could be dead on the ground and an alive one uh, standing above that dead body. This shouldn't be 
as much of a surprise, and it also shouldn't really be pay- played off in this slapsticky. Well, apparently year. not, because the rest of the issue is about that very same conundrum. So that's the best part of the issue, in my opinion. But as an outsider looking in, if you kind of saw this this scenario, you'd be like, "Well, okay, what happens when a duplicate dies?" Rather than this kind of like confusing, like if you're because this works much better if he's not a multiple man. If he's um, Alex. Alex is standing here, and there's a dead body of Alex. Then you're like, what, who, hey. Right, that makes a lot more sense. I disagree with you because, I I mean, you're talking about a dead body. Yeah. And people and Valley Cooper's just reacting to uh, Jamie Madrix's dead body. And, you know, despite the fact that he's multiple man, that is the obvious explanation, but it's still kind of shocking. Yeah. I get, I get Give that. Valerie Cooper a break. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know. It's played for laughs, though. And then, uh, you know, Lorna immediately steps in and says, don't ever do anything like this of all the stupid jokes. Right. What are you yelling at me for? I'm the one that's dead. And then he goes through and says, hey, this is what happened. I made a duplicate to go get the door. Then he was shot. And then I ran away. Then I made another duplicate Mm -hmm. to go chase after the gunman. But there was no sign of the gunman. So he goes to the dead body and is like, all right, well, let me uh, let me just reabsorb this thing. And uh, he it does say he'd been hiding in the crowd all the time until you guys showed up. So I went back and I looked through all the, the panels to see if he was hiding anywhere in the crowd. And disappointingly, it would have, could have been a good opportunity to have him be in the crowd and nobody would have noticed. Yeah, it, it would have been a would have been a good, cool thing to just have him like lurking around in the cloud what about the crowd and you flip back and you're like oh yeah there he is yeah in the first panel of this book it kind of looks like quicksilvers in the foreground <laughs> there's a lot of people that look a lot of people but i didn't see anybody who looked like jamie madrock except on the cover the the guy the, back, the guy with the back of his head yeah. in the foreground could kind of who's got his co- like he has this hair who has his collar up yeah yeah yep i don't know uh-huh. Yep. So, like you said, he tries to reabsorb himself, and it fails. And he's like, "What's happening here? Like, this isn't supposed to be. I've never had this happen." So, this becomes interesting in that he's always taken this power for granted. The other interesting thing is he and and us as the reader, we don't really know much about how his powers work, other than he can just create a bunch of duplicates to do things. Um, and so he's facing this reality where a duplicate of himself is dead. He can't reabsorb it. What we don't ever hear in this issue, and I don't know that we've heard it in any other issue, is like, what is the negative effect on him when he creates a duplicate, right? Is he creating matter out of nothing or is a portion of him reduced, if that makes any sense, as he creates those duplicates? I don't know. Maybe we'll discuss that in the next issue. It's not discussed in this issue. And I feel like in, uh, not that it has anything to do with this, but in Invincible, there was a girl who had this same power and they did discuss some of the limitations of how many, her name was Duplicate. That was what her name Mm. was. Uh, The limitations of like how many copies she could create and like what happens when one dies and all this sort of stuff. Um, So it's neat that they're doing Similar things here and diving a little deeper into his powers. I always appreciate that sort of touch. Yeah, it's uh, exploring something that on paper was probably very simple when it originally started. Right. Um, He does say something about Proteus stole one once. Right. And I never had the chance to reabsorb it. I 
think that'll come back. Probably, yes. And that's a good callback as well. Uh, there's a lot of weirdos in page 12. Like, <laughs> uh, there's just so many different people, so many different types of people. You got a guy in a chef hat, person holding a baseball bat, a guy with like a Charlie Brown shirt, somebody with a really weird top hat. And then you've got like this guy with large pink pants and a like a like a cool Odie shirt. I want a cool Odie shirt. I want that shirt. It's, it's got like a sweater and sunglasses. Um, it's just a weird amalgamation of people. Uh, and I think what makes it even weirder is it's set against a stark blue background, where it's it just feels all disconnected from what's happening in the foreground. Larry Strowman just likes drawing strange people. Yeah, no, I'm just, I just it's it's weird, and I'm sure as I when I bought this issue, as I'm flipping through these pages, I was like, nah, nope, I don't know what's happening. I don't want to read this, <laughs> <laughs> but I was shallow. Uh, this is the page where Val Cooper talks to uh, Ariel O'Hare, and basically it says, "We stopped doing Freedom Force, so now and now we're doing X Factor." Yep, and she. Oh, it, Ariel O'Hare says, hey, one of your elite members was so violently upset upon seeing a dead body, uh, it bordered on hysteria. Val Cooper's like, he wasn't hysterical. He was beside himself. Which is great. <sighs> no, it's not. I, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> dumb. Uh, dumb. <laughs> well, well, you're going into this with uh, every issue you're going to be like, there's too much humor. Um, I don't I mind this, humor. The shot of Valerie Cooper is great, though. It's just forced humor. I, with her whipping her head back, I like that, too. It's very stylized. Yeah. It's very, uh, like I think we said last issue, it's kind of like 1950s yep. uh, drawings of from women's magazines. Absolutely, yep. Uh, and Dr. Chalker, Professor Mr. Vic Chalker, he's got a Vizicam or something on on the scenario, or maybe this is just being broadcast live. But he's watching. You think all that's him? I didn't. I didn't. I thought this was somebody else. Oh, I thought it was Professor Vic uh, Chalker because he. It, let's see. It might be, but someone enters a large room where someone's watching television, and this is the person who shot Jamie Madrox. Oh, not, not the person watching television. The person who enters the room. Um, and he's also apparently the person who, uh, did something to Quicksilver. Right. First Quicksilver, then Madrox, and soon the rest, one by one. Uh, and you're willing to help. You have your own reasons. I get, I get what you're saying. So the guy on the chair may or may not be Vic Chalker. And I think the guy approaching Vic Chalker, maybe Vic Chalker, is the reveal at the end of the book. Is that what you're thinking? Oh, no, I wasn't thinking that, oh, although that's a possibility, too. Um, cause no, he, I think these are, I think these are, I don't think this is Victor. I don't think we've seen either of these two characters okay. before. So. Uh, and we won't see them again in this issue. I think we will. He's, well, he says, uh, and you're more than willing to help me, aren't you? For your own reasons, of course. I feel like this guy that's behind the chair is the reveal at the end of the issue. We'll find could, out later. You, but. you could absolutely be right. I hadn't, that hadn't occurred to me. And uh Sure. Yeah, it hadn't but occurred. I to, but I don't think it is. Hadn't occurred to me until I, I read this. But uh, anyways, uh, this guy who's sitting in the chair, we'll call him Doctor Claw for now, because all we see is his hand. Uh, he says, "Patient, my friend," or the words, or in the words of the philosopher, "Don't have a cow, man." 
from the side view, this chair looks like a giant toilet. I think that from the back view, it looks like the front of a Jeep. <laughs> so you're right, though. It does look like a toilet on the side view. Uh, and so he turns the TV after he says, don't have a cowman. And it's like we have a superhero TV show called Cowman. Or something. That, it's weird that they, I bet there was, this was supposed to be Bart Simpson, but they couldn't get the reference. Probably. Or they couldn't get the, 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 the license. Yeah, because it looks like over the maybe original head, they just slapped a shadow on top of it. And then this cow head, but whatever. It's a, it's another joke for you. <laughs> Remember, don't have a cowman. I do. Oh, yeah. It was all over the 90s. Yeah, sure was. Anyways. I, it's not really a joke. It's a cultural reference. Yeah. Eat my shorts. <laughs> when will we get that? Next issue. Perfect. So uh, Guido and uh, Lorna are playing pool, and Quicksilver is reading books really fast, which is not a thing I knew he could do. I know he could run fast. Well, it makes sense. Why couldn't he? Well, read books fast. I believe that he could turn pages fast, but I didn't realize his. I mean, I guess it sort of tracks if he can run fast and keep track of things and not run into things. His brain must also be able to process information that fast. But yeah, these types of things make sense to me when the Terminator is quickly reading things because it's a computer and just like taking snapshots of all the text and then processing well, it. Th think about this. When he's running really fast. I get it. I get he it. he would have to be able to absorb all of the information that is coming past him at a very fast rate or he would crash into things. Yep, I get it. I get it. So it makes sense that his brain could also uh, absorb data at a very quick rate. I think when they introduced uh, Quicksilver into the X-Men movies, that really helps form what that would look like, right? Because I could imagine him feeling like normal time. He's just like slowly reading a book, but to everybody on the outside, he's just like... But there is a limitation to this every time he uses his power. And I don't know if this is a new thing or if this is what those other folks were talking about. Uh, he ages. This is, this is what why he showed up last issue. Yeah. He was like, somebody messed up my power. I can't run fast anymore because I get... I get uh, I'm going to die, basically. Yeah. And they they comment on this, and he says, well, this is taking minimal effort, so it's I'm aging faster, but not quite as fast as if I you know, was running super fast. I have to do something on an accelerated rate. Otherwise, I'd be ordinary and would probably want to kill myself. Droll, Guido. Very droll. Well, he says, hey, don't let us stop you. Yeah, <laughs> because we're, we're a funny team making jokes. Cracking wise. I don't know why you have a problem with this. This is like every superhero team. <laughs> it's not the X-Men. Sure they do. They crack jokes all the time. It's not, scale. Not, it's not like joke per minute, though. It's maybe not to this degree, but it's definitely, this is just the, the hyperized version of that. Something tells me I may not get into this book, Adam. I think I think not. <laughs> At least not until Peter David leaves. Oh, when, when the humor, when the quote unquote humor leaves. You need uh, whoever takes over after. Maybe it's Fabian Nicier. He's more your speed. I just imagine, you know, a laugh track going along with this. 
Really? I don't. Oh, I do. I do. You know, because when you watch some of those kind of... Maybe you should try not imagining a laugh track going along with this and you'd enjoy it more. I can't because when you when you watch like some of those generic 90s sitcoms and they're just making their little sarcastic quips back and forth and the laugh track kicks on, it, it evokes kind of this idea that, oh, that was funny. I'm going to laugh at it. But when you take that laugh track away and they're just making these comments, you're like, oh, well, that's weird. That's what I get out of this. Did WandaVision have a laugh track? In some of the issues, episodes it did. Okay. Only with whatever episode it was, um, you know, I Love Lucy, Bewitched, those had laugh tracks. But I think when they did the Office um, mockumentary, there was no laugh track. Okay. So it followed whatever conventions were, exactly. were parroting. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, they're they're playing games, making plans. Playing games, making plans. Uh, Wolfsbane is not here hanging out with these folks, by the way. Val Cooper is here, and she started off the conversation letting them know that we're having a press conference to announce that we're uh, forming X-Factor because we want to be public, a public entity. Guido is going to need a name, and he's like, why? Because superhero conventions, and that's all good. It's all fine. We can't say here's X-Factor, Havoc, Polaris, Wolfsbane, Multiple Man, and Guido. It doesn't fit. Right. Quicksilver says, what about me? It slipped my mind, which <laughs> keeps coming back. Right. Slipped my mind. And then, then the next three panels, slipped my mind. Slipped my mind. Um, after the Freedom Force debacle, it's important we head off any possible negative press. So I guess Freedom Force was a undercover group. They did things under the radar. X Factor is going to be the opposite of that. They're going to be very public. Oh, okay. Sure. Makes sense. <laughs> I feel like the debacle was like the team basically kind of split apart. They goofed up that one um Iraq mission or, or wherever it was where a couple more of the Freedom Force members died and the Mystique and maybe Blob, they just like, well, f- the heck with this and they took off. In other words, they were a, a national embarrassment when the rubber hit the road. Okay. I think that works too. Uh, if if that whatever that series was uh, we read, I think was it Marvel Comics Presents? You you remember the storyline I'm talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. Where I think uh, Crimson Commando like got his head chopped off or something. Some people die. Yeah. Yeah. So if that's in canon, and I assume it is, I would imagine that that's part, part of, of the, the debacle. debacle. Yeah. As well as all the kind of failed attempts to uh, capture the X Men, leading in a bunch of public property damage. Yeah. It all makes sense. Havoc does not want to be a part of a press conference, so he walks out. I think it would be interesting, and I don't know if they'll ever get there, to address the fact that Freedom Force used to try to apprehend, I guess it wasn't X-Factor, they were trying to apprehend the Exterminators. Is that how that worked? Don't you remember in the early pages of X-Factor, there was a number of Freedom Force issues where they were were trying to capture Rusty Collins and and, uh, Skids, yeah, and they had to battle. I feel like they had to battle the "quote unquote" exterminators. Yes, I believe so. But I believe that the exterminators X Factor connection was made public at some point. So it, to me, it seems like some some uh, Ariel O'Hare would come in and be like, "Didn't your former government super powered team battle this superhero powered organization?" But none of these people were the same, yeah, so they could just say those were different people. I know, but. So that would be a neat detail if they. That was X Factor when they were pretending to be the exterminators. This is X Factor, the government organization. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I read those issues. 
I'm answering Ariel O'Hare's question. Okay. Um, so uh, Alex Havoc, and- Havoc leaves and uh, Valerie Cooper says, well, you can leave all you want. I'm still going to hold the press conference. Right. This is when we get our conversation between Lorna and Alex where Lorna's like, hey, what's going on? Like, you're like being really standoffish. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not. And and they're like, well, what, what's going on with us? Are we friends? Are we on? Lovers? Are we off? What? I do like that they mention, or, or she mentions anyways, like, look, a whole bunch of stuff has happened to us. We've been all over the place, possessed, <laughs> mind taken over, dead, alive. So maybe we just need to start all over again and, and uh, re I agree. Re- I like everybody. that, and this makes sense. But the f- previous thing where she was just, what do you mean? Don't you mean our apartment? That doesn't make any sense. Right. Especially with this, after she's like, we need to start from scratch. Why would she assume that she was just going to move in? But it's fine. Yeah. They start talking about who favorite authors favorite movies and then there's a weird shot of rain watching them from a window looks like she's naked but then again maybe she's just in her fur form yeah i thought this was weird there's yeah yeah (laughs) maybe she was a wolf and she was just kind of like hunting around looking for alex and then she reverted to her human form in which like she wouldn't have any clothes on because she was just a wolf but it's it's weird and then the alarm goes off, uh, and it looks like there's a fire truck. Where are they? Oh, I guess they're walking down the street, aren't they? Yeah. There's no, like, establishing shot, so it's kind of like they're in their complex. And to me, as I'm looking at this conversation, it almost seems like they're just in one of the random complex hallways. Uh, but no, they're they're actually outside. Yeah, I think the panel before the where the background is all purple is outside. Yeah, you're and right. And the panel before that is inside half inside half outside maybe i don't know because the first panel where they're talking is definitely inside right but yeah they're making their way somewhere yeah slipped your mind sirens and they see a fire truck and they run towards the danger yeah i think the uh the additional slipped your mind conversation yeah i think we're supposed to see alex kind of walking down the stairway to the sidewalk but meh whatever meanwhile uh Valerie Cooper goes to talk to Jimmy Madrox, who is disheveled down. He's depressed. And, and this is where we get a big conversation about, I never really thought about my clones, my duplicates. Who are they? What are they? Do they have hopes, dreams, aspirations? For that brief moment that they're separated from me, they have their own world outlook. And then I pull them back in. What does it all mean? Uh, and I like this sort of stuff. Yeah. He, previously, he thought of them as nothing more than foot soldiers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and they were more or less written to be just foot soldiers. Uh, so it's kind of nice to tie in that that over or whatever, to tie that all in together into this kind of uh, moral conundrum. Now that he knows that they die, they have the possibility of dying when they leave his body, as it were. Uh, what is what is he going to do about it? He doesn't know. Right. What does it all mean? And and. So it's nice because now he is putting some moral limitations on his powers where before he'd be like, oh, I'll just make 20 of me to surround everybody and take them over. But but now he's got this limitation of like, ooh, geez. It's hard to believe none of them have died before. Right. Maybe I'll make a couple of them keep my eye out on them because I don't like the thought that a part of me is dying. Maybe he's not going to use his powers anymore. 
or in his view, like if, if it, if his duplicate, which is, which seems strange to me, because if you had the mutant ability to create a duplicate of yourself, wouldn't you do that and then have a conversation with it and be like, Hey man, so, uh, do you think what I think or like, what's your world outlook right now? Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe he's just not there yet. Right. He hasn't, he hasn't, uh, connected the dots there. Yeah. So it's nice that they're, they're dealing with this here. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, the fire engines were, were heading, were, were dealing with a fire. There's a lady and a baby that are trapped up there. So X Factor spring into action to save the baby. And we get a little bit of their teamwork and how they're going to help each other out. Uh, and we also see a little bit of Alex's, uh, I have no plan. This is how I lead. He just grabs the baby, jumps out of the window. He's like, well, I'm going to die if I stay in there. So if I just jump out of this window, I have a much better chance of somebody seeing me and doing something about it. He's not spending any time to think about whether or not this is going to work. He just does it. Yeah. And it works, right? Lorna is like, oh, my God, there's Alex. And so she uses her magnetic powers to to bring over the net to catch them. Um and I think this is just establishing, like, this is how this team is going to work. There's not going to be, like, an elaborate game plan. They're going to find themselves into situations, and they're just going to rely on each other to just help and take care of the, the problems. And it goes back to what Valerie Cooper was pointing out last right. issue, which is... You're a good leader what because... What you just saying, which is, like, when, when, you, when you don't think about what you're doing, you do a great job. Right. And which, then you start thinking about it. Everything falls apart. You, you, everything falls apart for you. <laughs> Which is, uh, I don't know, a, a blessing and an insult all at the same time. <laughs> what do you mean when I think about things, it falls apart? So you need an organization to point the to point to, to where you're going to go next. Right. You're the tip of the arrow. You're going to do a great job as soon as you're you know facing damage but or danger. But you need somebody to pull the string back and 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 push you towards whatever that is. So they save the day, and Lorna and Alex, I guess, rekindle each other's affections for one another. They have a kiss and make a Mr. Belvedere joke. It's hilarious. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to die. I kept waiting for my life to flash before my eyes, and all I got were reruns of Mr. Belvedere. Cue laugh track. <laughs> well, that's funny. Uh, sure. It's hilarious. Oh, you're so calm and cool, and we'll just ignore that you're shaking like a leaf, which is a nice line. I guess of all of the jokes that have been made throughout this issue, this is probably one of the better ones. Which one? The Belvedere one? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, and so Rain sees all this and she's like, lover. <laughs> so. Yeah, that took a lot of that took a lot of confidence in me, Alex, jumping out a window, that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lorna says to Alex, and Alex says, Leap of faith, lover, and then Rain, who has been watching around the corner, still apparently naked. I'm imagining, I don't know. Sure. I see the top half of her. Um, it says lover. And I thought this was the end of the issue. But then I turned the page and there's the press conference. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about the press conference. So we get a reveal of the team. We got multiple man, Polaris, Havoc, Wolfsbane, Quicksilver, and uh, hey, where's Gui? You know, the other guy. And he comes out and uh, somebody's like, hey, look at that guy. He's the strong guy. Every Every team has a strong guy. And he's like, yeah, that's right. My name is Strong Guy. And that's the origin of Guido's code name. Which is good. Havoc's like, you can't call yourself strong guy. It's ridiculous. And he's like, you got a problem with it? Uh, no. Um, she says, Freedom Force has been disbanded. While the group had laudable goals, they ultimately proved too unstable to function well. The government still feels that a special task force is required to deal with those assignments. 
needing mutant expertise, and as you know by now, also capable of aiding in dire situations such as last night's fire. The name of the new task force, of task force endorsed by the president, is X Factor. And then she introduces all the members and Guido, and then Guido becomes strong guy. And uh, they open it to the floor of questions. And this reminds me of like a Bob Dylan or Beatles style press conference where sure. all of the uh, answers are snarky. How come Quicksilver isn't wearing an X-Factor costume? How come your jacket is ugly? I would do it. Like, how come your jacket is ugly? Oh, that wasn't a good John Lennon. <laughs> that was actually an Irish man. But I, I know what you're going with because isn't that basically what they did? They'd get these ridiculous questions and just make yeah. little quippy jokes back. Uh, Val says uniforms are optional. Strong guy says, now you tell me. Because he doesn't want to wear the costume. I don't know. I'd like to know why you're getting involved. Strong guy says, I'm doing it for the money. I'm doing it for the money. <laughs> Ahem. Uh, all right, moving on. As Val Cooper plays damage control. Uh, it's actually Alex. Or Alex. Because it fills a need to let the public know that, yes, there are anti-social mutants, but also those who want to achieve positive ends, just as there are good and bad humans uh somebody says how do you respond to the idea that mutants are freaks and that they claim that they're homo superior to mask their own insecurity and that's when rain launches into a sermon hath thou not a mutant eyes sir hath not a mutant uh hands organs dimensions senses affections passions you're not going to do it with a scottish accent i mean come on if we, if we, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not lie? And then one die of the, rather. One of the reporters is like, well, actually, not, not really. You guys seem to die and come back all the time. My first love is rotten under the ground, so don't talk to me about death not being real. <laughs> now you just sound like Scotty. <laughs> I'm giving her all she's got. Any other questions? And that's when a mysterious hand reaches out and says, yeah, I have a question. A question for the multiple man. And then it's a reveal that this is another Jamie Madrox. And he says, because I happen to be the multiple man. And I want to know who that imposter, imposter thinks he is. So this is the reveal at the end of the issue. We'll find out later. But I think that the guy talking to the other guy at the chair is this person. And connecting what you said earlier, one of these two, probably this one, is maybe the Proteus corrupted multiple man. I don't know any of that. It's complete speculation because I don't believe I've read any of these other issues. Neither did I. And I'm surprised because this is a really good ending. This is a very strong ending. Like the, the, the endings of both of these issues have been the best parts of the issues. Yes. Like these are good cliffhangers. He's yes. Uh, He's definitely uh, Peter David has definitely sort of mastered that art of like here's an issue and a stinger right at the end. It'd be like, ooh, what's happening now? Some mystery, some intrigue. So I like it. Hopefully, hopefully he can just kind of keep that cadence going, so you get that serialized approach uh, without sort of a, a finite entry. Just one issue leads into the next issue, etc. We'll find out though. Indeed, here on the Danger Room, the X Men Comics Commentary Podcast, Wolverine number forty eight. Starts this the, is, the Shiva scenario. I, I don't remember this being a, a thing, but I, I do remember, obviously, issue 50, this leading up to issue 50. Um, it declares itself on the cover, a sequel to Weapon X. Memories Unbound. Uh, and this is Sylvester and Green doing their greatest uh, homage to, um, what's his face? Uh, the guy that did Weapon X. Help me. I don't. I mean, they do it in their style. Say the name. Say the name. 
I don't, I don't, I can't remember his name. What? Anytime, anytime you say something like, oh, who's that guy that something, 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 then I, my mind immediately goes blank. The Weapon X guy. The uh, Yeah, I know who you're talking about. X-Men I don't remember his name either, though. What? Adam, you're supposed to be better at this than me. David Allen Greer. No. <laughs> oh, my God, you're killing me. Uh, right now, there's folks listening. They're just screaming at their All AirPods. Right, it's... And I have the issue up here. How come it doesn't give me the creative staff? Barry Windsor Smith. Barry Windsor Smith. That was that was rough. I'm really, I was pretty close with David Allen Greer. You did get three names in there. Um, no, I just it, it is definitely Sylvester and Green. I'm not saying he's cop. They're copying anything, uh, but I feel like this is a Barry Windsor Smith. Um, I think it's more drawing. Larry Hama is doing a Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X homage sort of thing, and. Uh, Sylvester and Green are just patterning it after what they've been given. Sure. The cover, though, just this this feels like it could have been Barry Windsor Smith on one of those Marvel Comics presents. And I'm not complaining. I'm, I, I, it's a good cover. I like it. I also think, uh, I can't remember if I was buying any of these issues. I definitely owned issue 50, and I recall this was a big deal, again, in the you know uh, advertisement sections of other comics, like, coming soon, the origin of Wolverine probably in wizard and, and things of that nature. So this storyline I think was a pretty big deal. I recall myself being pretty let down back then, but reading this issue, it's this issue is really good. In my opinion, I like it a lot. It is very good, but I think in terms of revealing things about Logan's past, you are definitely going to be let down because basically it just, I think it ends up, having more questions than answers well and that's you know that's how you do a good mystery you don't which is fine you know all your cards but but it, but if you're if you're if you're selling something as one thing and it ends up being another thing then yeah then that ends up being a disappointment but well i think as kids at least me my, i'll speak for myself like we're look i was looking for like a binary like this is everything about wolverine's past right uh and you were never going to get that um, and right. sort of as an older uh, person who kind of understands story constructions and how you keep a mystery going, you don't just like lay it all out and be like, okay, well, now this character is not interesting anymore because we know everything about them. Uh, because one of the, you know, obviously Wolverine's a cool character, but a lot of his, the interest comes from like the mystique and uh, mystery that's behind him. And then obviously they, they milk that um, for, and it's a good thing. Um, it's like the the lost conundrum. A lot of people sure. are angry about how Lost ended because it didn't answer any questions, which you know isn't necessarily true. It is it answers a lot of questions, but in very very vague ways. But it also opened up more questions than answers, and I think people were pretty disappointed by that. I've never watched Lost, so it's best show ever. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people out there that would disagree. Oh yeah. uh that being said adam i am uh, a bit of a battlestar galactica apologist in that i don't know if you watch that show but many people celebrate those first three maybe even four seasons like the best television ever produced uh and then it quickly goes off the rails after that uh how many seasons were there uh, i thought there was only four i don't know maybe it was the first two seasons first two and a half seasons but the first three quarters, whatever you want to call it, super strong. And then the last quarter, most people are like, stupid, it ruined everything. 
I rewatched the entire series a couple of years back and I was like, you know what? Yeah, the, the back portion of the series is not as strong as the front portion, but it, it runs into probably the same conundrum that Lost ran into and the same thing that we're talking about here. Like once you get to the point of like resolving all these things that have kind of been driving the attention, what do you do next? Yeah. And this, that's basically what happened in Battlestar Galactica is they, they, all this mystery intrigue and what's happening and who's what. And then they resolved a lot of it and it's like, okay, well, now what are we going to do? <laughs> and they did things, uh, and they got it to a, a completion, but definitely it lost the, the steam and the traction that the earlier seasons had created. But it's because they resolved the mystery and I get that. And, and, and that, and, and I think Lost attempted to do that by not necessarily answering the mystery. So, so you're, you're in season six, which is, you know, the last season of Lost. Watch it now. And they're, they're just ask, asking more and more questions. Right. And you're like, like, I wanted, I wanted answers. So I think that can all, you have, it's a fine line, right? Like you run the, if you're at this final season, you're, you're kind of looking for resolutions and tie up all the knots and give me all the answers. But if you're opening up more questions and more mysteries, then your audience is just like, what is happening? Yeah, <laughs> this is too much. I can't keep track of all this stuff. Now it's just ridiculous. And I think I think that's what happened with Lost for a lot yeah. of people was that it was just mystery overload. They gave you the answers, but they didn't give you the answers in obvious ways. They were very they were they weren't in your face. There are four seasons of Battlestar Galactica. So I think the first two seasons and then the first half of season three, everybody almost universally loves. And then the second half and the fourth season, people are not happy with. That is a show that I've never seen. And, um, you know, I probably should. It's like The Expanse. Everybody says The Expanse is really good, too. I watched some of The Expanse. It didn't hook me. I watched the first two episodes of The Expanse. It didn't hook me. I watched the first two episodes of Battlestar Galactica. It didn't hook me. Oh, so okay. you know, obviously, you got to watch more than those first two episodes. I was immediately hooked with Battlestar Galactica. So now, when you say you watched the first couple of episodes of Battlestar Galactica, did you watch like the the miniseries or the actual first two season proper? The the whatever was first. So I guess the miniseries because that's like a two and a half hour long miniseries that. I think, yeah, aired in, in, in multiple chunks, but then it was all yeah. edited together later as like a big movie. And I, I, kinda... I watched it as still as chunks, but okay. I don't know. Because watching it as a big movie is, is kind of a commitment because they, they're they dealing with big concept space battles uh, on a very little budget. So they, there's a lot of like talking and, and like we're talking about concepts and all what these things mean. And here's a little special effect. And now we're back to talking, 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 eh, special effect. So it. Um, I don't know. If you like that kind of thing, it's good. But if you're looking for lots and lots and lots of space action, it's not really present in that that first miniseries. I wasn't looking for lots and lots and lots of space action. I was just disappointed with the space action that I got. Oh well, I, d- I didn't want more. I just wanted better. I think I forgave it just because I the but I was you know understood what the budget was and what they were trying to accomplish with that limited budget. There were a lot of cool things, like a lot of cool concepts came out of it. I was especially intrigued by the doctor guy. Yep. Um, but beyond that, I don't remember oh, it's, anything. I don't know. It, it's good. Anyways, uh, you know and what I was else? Like, it, I'm going to go watch Star Trek Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I watched the first half of the first season, and I know you have to like watch 
four seasons before it gets good. You know what? Just start with season four because you get Worf and then you'll be fine. Yeah. You might you might miss a couple of key things that are happening. Um, I've talked about this before, but I got to imagine there's probably a, a, a qu- like quintessential DS9 watch guide, which is like these two episodes from season one, this episode yeah. from season two, these four from season three, and all of season four, half season five. Cut out I mean, the fat. There's like a 16-part story in season six or something like that. And it seems, based on what I understand of that, it seems right up my alley. It's just like, that's a lot of work to put in to get to that. <laughs> so. It's worth it, though. Yeah. I mean, I guess. I don't know. I didn't I didn't have as huge a problem with the first season as some people. Yes, it's definitely, it's definitely like the first season of Star Trek Next Generation, the weakest season, because <laughs> yeah. they're figuring things out. Yeah. But it's still watchable. I'm not saying it's bad. All I'm saying is like I was able to rewatch Star Trek The Next Generation season one relatively recently within the last – I think I watched it over the pandemic um, because number one, I had a lot of time on my hands. But number two, I'd watched many of those episodes uh, when I was younger. So I was like, oh, this this jogs a memory. I watched very little Deep Space Nine when I was younger. Yeah, and I think that's also – part of the thing is like you're familiar with these characters and you're like oh well this is this is different than what i remember which makes it kind of interesting right and you know you're eventually going to get to a place that feels good yeah whereas with deep space nine you don't you gotta just trust that you are um but you don't know now i have watched the tribbles episode of deep space nine multiple times that's a good episode it's a great episode yeah you know what else is great adam Wolverine number 48. Sylvester and Green's artwork is top notch in this issue. So this is like, uh, I don't know, Larry Harmon or somebody was pretty smart. That was like, okay, we just dropped this Weapon X thing. It was huge. Yep. Let's just straight up follow it up with a story and get people reading Wolverine. It's perfect. Uh, I mean, the only thing that's missing, and this is this is a very, very minor complaint, is what makes Wolverine want to go to this nuclear uh, facility? Well, it's actually the the guy that they hire, Harry Tabishaw, yeah. to bring them to this facility uh, is the guy that tracked down the Hunter of Darkness from the last couple of issues oh. for the, uh, the rich guy who brought him to New York City. Okay. And so Wolverine hires him to – uh, bring him to some of his um, older haunts. Right. So there's a connection between the hunter in darkness and Wolverine. And this guy's just like, yeah, I'll take you to where I know he came from. It's the loosest of connections. It's fine. And it's, it's just it's done to get Wolverine to a place. But the place ends up being the Weapon X facility. Which we know. Wolverine doesn't know. I'm fine with all of that, right? Why is he here? You just answered the question. I had forgotten that they were talking about trying to find the origins of the Hunter in Darkness. You're right. It's very loose, but who cares? That that just gets us to this point, and it just happens to be the Weapon X facility. It's, yeah. It's, it's fine. Uh, and as we go through this issue, I mean, it's very 90s, right? Jubilee's like, hold on, there's flat hardtop here. Let me get my rollerblades on. She's rollerblading around, having a good old teenage time. But it's very much your your Batman and Robin, right? You got Wolverine who's doing in the investigation, and Jubilee's like, like she's uncovering all the stuff accidentally. Yeah, I don't know. It it, it really flows well. Um, I like it, even though it's kind of cheesy. And what I really like 
is, you know, this this should be the Wolverine movie. I mean, there's just a lot of like, you know, he enters a, a scenario, he grabs a thing and like whew, the memories all flood back of of what the connection is to that object. Like mm-hmm. it, like he finds his, his Lotus 7 and Jubilee's like, oh, whose car is that? He's like, it's mine. How do you know? He's like, I don't know. I just know. Yeah. And then in the uh, ignition, there's the key and there's this little little sack with a like a skeleton key on it. Get all these little connecting points. He tries starting up the car and it immediately cuts to a scene from Weapon X. It's exact, almost exactly what we saw. They're 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 yeah. trying to capture him, and and he fights back. And oh, the old man doesn't want him damaged. And the dialogue is the same. There's additional dialogue that happens in between the bits because, as we know, or if we don't remember, uh, Weapon X was broken up into parts uh, like pieces. Yep. And in between those pieces was Wolverine being tested in the lab, or maybe it was the monkey being tested in the lab. I don't remember. Yeah. But uh, this kind of fills in some of those gaps. You might say unnecessarily. It doesn't matter. It's fine. I like it all. Yeah. Like, and if it, you it didn't, works. if you didn't read Weapon X, and maybe you didn't, like this, this catches you up. Yeah. So it's a little bonus for those people that read Weapon X and the people that didn't read Weapon X. It kind of puts all the pieces together. There's a neat scene here where Wolverine smashes a guy's head into a headlight. So I had to flip back, and sure enough, the Lotus's headlight is damaged. Oh wow! Nice little touch there. It's not as damaged as I would have thought it would be based on the amount of. Uh, a face that's in that headlight, but you know, it's fine. It's like, hey, did were they smart enough to, oh, they were. So that's cool. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And they finally knock him out. And as he's falling to the ground, uh, modern Wolverine, he falls to the ground. Julie's like, what's going on? You don't look so good. Wolverine's like, oh, I had a crazy dream. It's a fragment Seven. of my memory. Some sort of crazy daydream. So in one way, we, the audience, are not getting any new information, but Wolverine, the character, is getting new information. And I think when you sort of flip that around and look at it from that perspective, it's it's neat. Like, we're not getting new information, but he is. So how is that going to inform him as a character moving forward? So I like that. Meanwhile, he heads to a door, and the door is, like, filled with claw marks. So they go into the sewers or wherever, and he sees a reflection of himself with all the Weapon X gear. We hear. It's the hallway where he finally lost control and was heading after the professor that I guess in Weapon X that turned out to be a scenario that they were setting him up into. Yeah, but I think as we read that, like most of the issue was all uh, a, a scenario, but then the issue ended with basically it happening for real. Right. Yeah. And we hear this, this has direct dialogue from the scenario version of it where the professor slips off to talk to the right. uh, bigger control people and say, he's running amok. You might say clearing the Deadwood. Uh, some of the dialogue is slightly changed in this version, whereas in the previous one it wasn't, but whatever, it's fine. And Wolverine's running through, slaughtering all these troopers. And then. Someone comes up behind him. It's Jubilee. It says, yo, look at what I found and puts a gun into his back, which is never a good idea. Yeah, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. But she's a teen, so whatever. And Wolverine <laughs> pops his claws. And is like, what? Are you crazy? What are you doing? You don't hand a gun to me. And she's you like. You know how close you came to? And she's like, nuts? Moi? You're <laughs> the one standing around in a dark corridor grunting and breathing heavy. Give a, Get a grip. Here, I found this in the Lotus. It's a gun. You must have been a real James Bond. Why is the Why handle is all taped, taped up? up? 
And then we cut to some new stuff. Yeah, stuff that we haven't seen before. And we see a blonde ponytailed man who says, better grip, no fingerprints. It's my backup piece. If you're going to carry that little pea shooter, why don't you take this? And then you'll have two guns. You ready? They're Let's do this thing. Suits. These yep. guys are basically Pulp Fiction. These guys are definitely Pulp Fiction. Um, but this is before Pulp Fiction, if memory serves. But they're definitely like secret agents or FBI. They got their suits on and whatnot. And uh, yeah, they have a little back and forth dialogue. They're they're definitely friends, and, they... and it's revealed very quickly that this guy is Sabretooth. Yeah, Mastodon, this is Sabretooth. Ready when and you are. And he looks like John Travolta, so it's got to be after Pulp Fiction. You think so? What year did this issue come out? Oh, this was ninety one, and Pulp no. Fiction was ninety. I don't know. No, 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 no. Pulp Fiction was like ninety three or four. Let's see. I saw it in the theater, Adam. 1994. This came out in 1991. All right, so it's just a coincidence then. Maybe Quentin Tarantino was a big fan of the Wolverine comic, and he's like, ooh, I'm going to do Maybe. this, and I need John Travolta, because Sabretooth looks just like John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> and Wolverine looks just like Samuel L. Jackson. So they're going to bust into a, uh, they're in like some sort of tenement house or something. Um, they're going to bust into a door, and while this is happening, uh, Sabretooth is con- uh, conversing with an outside third party, Mastodon. Yeah. They have code names, Mastodon, Sabretooth, and Wolverine. And um, th- while this is happening, Wolverine is having weird kind of trippy uh, multiple flashbacks. So it's like a flashback within a flashback or it's flashbacks kind of on top of each other. How do you – I didn't get that. So the – Things coming through the wall oh, okay. yeah, yeah, are the yeah, spikes yeah. from Weapon X. Yeah. And even one comes through his, sh- his sleeve is like some of the wiring of Weapon X. Gotcha. Yep. I see that. Yep. Yeah. But then the next panel is pretty, pretty straight up. They they jump in. Uh, looks like these guys uh, have maybe smuggled some military gear and then who knows? They're going to sell it to it's grenades, explosives. Somebody. Got to get it across the border. Oh, wait, no, these guys are across the border. How can they do that? And they're like, oh, they got special dispensation. Wolverine immediately gets shot three times. Some of the guys get shot. Uh, Wolverine's face lands on a piece of paper that says something like, come visit us in beautiful Alberta. I don't know if that's a flashback or if that's what he actually saw, but definitely connecting in that memory with another memory because then you write more spikes and wires um, kind of burst through his body. And somebody says, uh, where is it? On the next page, get him, Silver Fox. Yep. And Wolverine's like, Silver Fox? I'm and, hit, Logan. Uh, it's empty. Get it together. We're all dead. And that's when one of the uh, bad guys here, the, the smugglers, is Silver Fox. Maybe, right? This could definitely be like a blended memory. And he's just mixing up different thoughts. Or maybe she truly was like... Maybe these people so, fancy themselves as freedom fighters. Yeah, and it's 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 questionable because this could be a legit flashback or the dialogue, uh, the captions that are accompanying this that are from the professor right. that didn't happen in Weapon X do kind of – or maybe they did um, point out that, that – well, I'll just read them. The brain does not allow itself to remember excruciating pain in precise detail. Right. These are – appropriate gray areas to build on to layer in alternate scenarios so this could be just like mixing and matching of i think so right memories 
this what's happening with Wolverine with all the the spikes this could be like the adamantium being forced through his body he's in severe pain which is jogging up this other memory and then he's mixing up who Silver Fox and Sabretooth are I mean this could go a lot of different ways right but Silver Fox does have a little pouch she does that is what he ends up finding in his car right which does lend some credence to this actually happening yeah, but I believe that Silver Fox had that little pouch at it could very, I mean, the way that this is written and the way that this is presented, like this could go in any number of directions with little bits of truth uh, sprinkled in. Or it could also be that Silver Fox from issue nine, none of his memories of Silver Fox are true. That could be too. Yeah. So just kind of a neat thing that, that now they can really do whatever they want to. I think I remember reading this as a kid and just being like, what is going on? Um, this is awesome. Oh, I was probably like, what is going on? I don't understand any of it. <laughs> <laughs> so Wolverine jumps up and he's he's definitely in full Barry Windsor Smith. The hair's like all crazy, you know, blown out. He's got all these spikes coming from him. He's like, not pig, not animal, not dead. And he starts shooting, which is kind of what he was doing in that Weapon X story of being like, not animal, human, me, yeah. Logan. Uh, and he shoots everybody. There's a bald guy who may be an allegory to the professor. Maybe oh, not. Yeah. And it looks like he's got a wig, like the wig like goes flying off. He's got like a beard oh, yeah. Wig. I just noticed that. Yeah, he had a hat on. And it could. He's got the, the same professor whatever glasses, but he also has the same beard and mustache as the the other guy. I can't remember his name. I think this panel of him falling onto his glasses is is straight out of Weapon X. Yeah, but do you remember who I'm talking about? Because there was three characters. Cornelius. Cornelius. There's one where he's like, never mind, I got my gun ungemmed. Die, pigs. The mustache, the teeth, and that facial expression, he's got the professor glasses, and it seems like he's got the Cornelius face. Yeah, he's like a weird amalgamation of everybody. Yeah, it's kind of neat. And then all of that, that material falls off, and it's a bald man land, uh, landing on his face. The real trick to giving the implant credence lies in artful juxtaposition. The brain would much rather believe in unpleasant fiction than a horrifying truth. The implant overpowers reality by being marginally more palatable. It's all in the placement, you see. So that kind of makes me think that, you know, Silver Fox, you know, she's got her gun. She's getting ready to maybe kill Wolverine. All of this is like bits and pieces of truths, but improperly merged together in his memories as he's coping and dealing with the pain that's happening to him. Yep. And yeah, so then, cause then he turns right into uh weapon X. He's got all the gear hanging on him. He's like, not animal, not dead. Little Logan human. And uh, he, he cuts the pouch off of silver uh, Fox's neck, takes it for himself, which how do you get from, I mean, obviously this is, this is definitely like fever dream type stuff, but you don't go from this interaction to them dating. I mean, I guess you could. <laughs> it is comics, but. Well, obviously none of this happened because right. he is Weapon X throughout this. And if this is before Weapon X, he didn't have claws. So there's a shot of him looking at her pouch on his claws. Yeah. So obviously that never happened. Right. Uh, I see the subject's memory as a complex rag out. Don't rag out? Okay. <laughs> and we are the chefs. So uh, food. I don't know who have it within their power to determine what shall rise to the top and what shall be skimmed. So like ingredients in a soup. Rag out is a sauce. Okay. Uh, ragu and rag out a stew. 
Ragout is essentially the same as stew, except that most recipes for ragout are originally French, and often the meat and vegetables are cut into smaller pieces than in a typical stew. It's just stew. So that makes sense. Less chunky stew. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we cut back to the present where he is holding the pouch uh, on his claws and for I some reason. I guess he's accidentally pricked uh, Jubilee's oh, finger. That's why. With the claw tip. <laughs> I was just holding out the keys to the Lotus Wolf. You didn't have to stick me. Sorry, Jube. <laughs> Looks like there's a padlock. What's the pouch? Looks Indian. Gotta get out of this place, Jube. It's jarring loose. Too many questions. Questions I gotta ask Xavier about. We're heading back to Westchester. I've seen enough. Yeah. And, and we get a zoom out as they're walking away into Shiva O2. Is this gonna tie into Omega Red? I don't know. It I don't. Is- it's definitely going to tie into issue 50. Well, yeah. Does issue 50 I, have Omega Red? No, it has Shiva. Oh, okay. We, we figure out who this Shiva is. Okay. I don't remember if it has Omega Red or not. It could all tie together. I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, Next good. month, the answers begin. Do they? Do they really? I don't I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. 29. I didn't. I, nope. Wolverine's in this. Um, they're basically Nick Fury and Wolverine and Shield are taking on a bunch of uh, Hydra's back, and Hydra had just destroyed a Shield facility with fifteen hundred Shield soldiers. So Nick Fury is losing his mind. Uh, Wolverine is kind of there to occasionally bring him back and be like, "What's going on with you, Fury? Snap out of it." Uh, other than that, Wolverine doesn't really do much in this issue. Um, and uh, they managed to stop Hydra's plan of stealing fuel. And I'm, I don't know why Wolverine's in this issue. He doesn't need to be. Um, I it, hope he's not in the next one. Wolverine's the most popular character in the Marvel Universe. He's got to be everywhere. The writing, like, you didn't like the writing in X-Factor 72 where they were joking too much. I didn't like the writing in this one where they were joking too much. Because every joke is just like, my gun's bigger than yours. Oh, yeah, well, my gun shoots first. It's it's all this kind of like, I don't know, you know, the beginning of Predator, yeah, where they're all like, I'm the toughest guy in the world. I've always hated that part. I love that part, and I'll tell and, you why, Adam. And lots of people do love that part, and I know what it's there for, <laughs> and I love that it sets up these guys as a bunch of toughnicks who basically turn into the prey, right? And, and that's great, but I've always kind of like you don't like that trope, yeah. I don't like that trope. And so any other, in my opinion, right, and I agree with you, any other movie where you have that trope with a bunch of muscly guys doing their arm wrestling and, like, talking about their guns and I ain't got time to bleed, which has got to be one of the best lines in any action film ever, um, (laughs) if it's not juxtaposed with them basically being the prey... then you're the back right. Back ends of a horror movie. Right. Then you're then you're like, oh, this is stupid, right? Then you're basically looking at like a canon movie, like Delta Force or something like that, where it's just like right. guns and muscles. Uh, any and other Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from that era? Commando? Yeah, probably. Commando's probably got muscly people. But anyways, I hear what you're saying. The other thing that bugged me about the Nick Fury thing is just everybody's getting limbs and fingers and things just cut off. And I'm like, geez, there's a lot of... <laughs> I don't know if they're trying to be edgy, gory, but in this really not in my, my not artwork that I like uh, presentation, it just comes off as, you know, it, it does it loses its impact. 
I didn't enjoy much of anything about it. But it, the writing was what bothered me. The artwork, I can get past artwork if, as long as it's not bad, bad. This was just bad, not bad, bad. <laughs> I think it was pretty bad. It was it was pretty bad, but it wasn't it wasn't so bad that I couldn't follow it. I I mean, I feel like I'm probably wrong. I probably never would have had the time or the commitment to do it. But I feel like I could have drawn that issue. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it looks like a you know a a a, a competent sixteen year old's superhero comic book. Ooh, it's a blood here, and a, here's a gun, and anyways. Uh, Marvel Comics presents number something twenty twenty seven. It's number seventy eight. <laughs> something. It's like right that. in the middle of the wall of the Weapon X stuff. This is a Celine story that is possibly. I hated this story. Really, I didn't. It, I I just thought it didn't make any sense. It was dumb. I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> They're continuing this this arc of of silliness of a little jokes, right? Cause Celine comes into a bar and she's hungry, right? We know that Celine feasts on, I don't know if she's feasts on, on, uh, I think she feasts on like uh, alive energy. She doesn't okay. suck blood. She, you know, cause when she, um, absorbs a, a person's soul or, or whatever, not soul, but like essence, they basically shrivel up and, and fall to the ground. We've seen that in X-Men. Yeah. So she senses the Hulk and she's like, oh my well, god. A, bun- a bunch of people are getting thrown out wow. of the window of a bar and she's like, oh, I gotta go see what this is about. Right, and then she senses and sees the Hulk. She's like, hey. Uh, <laughs> she's she's really thrusting herself upon him and he's like, not interested. He keeps saying not interested. She buys him a beer. I've never seen Celine so desperate. Right. And it, I don't like it. <laughs> it. It doesn't really fit her character, but I kind of chalked it up to like she's never seen she's never seen the Hulk, and she's she's like, what would this be like if I was to absorb his do my power on this magnificent specimen specimen of a man, which I get, and that, and that, and I'm actually okay with it up to this point. Um, and she's not going to take no for an answer. I don't like the I don't like the desperation is a little bit too much. But once she finally flips over, and then she grabs the bartender and she's like she kisses the bartender, absorbs him, turns him into a skull. Yeah. And she and then she's like, now what do you have to say? As though that would change the Hulk's mind. Oh, you want to do that like, to me? Oh, you're going to absorb me. OK, now I'm interested. <laughs> it's like, I don't I don't get it. What What is she trying to say here? I don't know. Uh, she uses some powers against him, blasts his head, knocks him down, and he's like, oh, I'm not interested, and he sort of hulks out a little bit. And it kind of ends with, um, you know, she's going on and on about, like, I got wealth, I got all this stuff, I'll shower you with all this stuff. Yeah, she's she's scared, because, she, like you said, he hulks out, yep. and she's scared, and that's fine, because he's, he's an imposing figure. She starts throwing stuff at him, she's like, leave me alone, and I'll give you wealth, I'll leave you, I'll give you whatever you want. And, he, and then he's like, as for your other offers, this is the 90s, and there's a reason I'm not interested. And then we cut away hang on. sometime later. Hang on. What does that mean? I that's I have no idea. Is So <laughs> the two things that immediately came to my mind were AIDS. <laughs> okay. Right? Maybe. It's, I don't know. It's the 90s. AIDS is more in the popular conversation. Uh, I don't know if her offers, her offers seem to be sexual in nature, obviously with the outcome of him, you know, succumbing and like getting absorbed. Um, so that's number one. Or is he gay? Okay. <laughs> is the Hulk gay? Maybe. Because <laughs> he's like, it's the 90s and I'm not interested. And I'm like, what does that mean? 
And we never find out because uh, we cut to the Hellfire Club where Selene is late for a meeting. And uh, as soon as she shows up, she she's now doesn't have her cape. Nope. And um, well, Magneto's like, like, hey, where have you been? And then she's like, hey, I'm not interested. Yeah. It, <laughs> she's it, a Magneto. I think it's time you learned a lesson about arrogance as I just did. Selene? Not interested. Selene? Yeah. It looks like the Hulk took her cape. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Did they have sex? Maybe. And he's really creepy here as he's like, it looks like her thumb is kind of on her head, like kind of stroking her head. And he's got kind of this mischievous smile. But he also ends the sentence with, I'm not interested. So I don't think it would be in the Hulk's nature to. No, it yeah. doesn't seem like it would be in character for the Hulk to. Yeah, it just this. this. So I so I don't know what the lesson is. She learned a lesson about arrogance. And now she's just sprawling herself out on a chair at the table of the Hellfire Club and saying, not interested. But I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. And did the Hulk take the cape? And there's the White Queen here who does not look like Emma Frost. Is that Emma Frost or is that a new White Queen? Magneto's here. So this definitely sets us back, you know, a little bit in continuity. Well, not that yeah. it matters one way Hulk or the is other. Great too, but, which is also sets us back a little bit. Uh, it was a quick read. I'll give it that. But, you know, normally... <laughs> These little Marvel Comics Presents uh, one-offs have a joke or, you know, something poignant. Like, I think there was the one story that you didn't really like, which was the Destiny Mystique, which was a one-shot where they just kind of, like, we didn't need that story, but it was just kind of nice to show their their relationship. Uh, That story made sense, whether you liked it or not. This one... What happens? This one, I, I think there is. I think there is a a joke or a or, or a you know, but I don't. I don't get it. Well, I think the not interested thing is the joke, right? Yeah. But but what happened? <laughs> what happened? And, and what did she learn? And why did the, what's going on? It just feels like uh, two characters that are poorly written. Yeah. And it, it, a story in a story that is poorly written. As for your other offers, this is the 90s and there's a reason I'm not interested. So is he interested in sex but not any of the wealth or any of the other stuff? Because you're right, it does go out of its way to say sometime later at the Healthfire Club, which in like movie or TV parlance means like a relation happened. Yeah. <laughs> but, so I don't know. But the Hulk's not interested. The entire issue is how about how he's not interested. I don't. It, you're right. It's it's really weird. Uh, maybe he's just not interested because of her cape. Oh yeah, get that cape out of the way, and then we we're in business. <laughs> I, don't I, know. I don't know. It, yeah, it doesn't. Who wrote this thing? I don't know. I'm going to the front here. Um, Chris Claremont. That's weird. No, <laughs> Dwight Zimmerman. Uh, he doesn't. He write. Um, who writes Deathlock? Is that Dwight Zimmerman? No, that's Dwayne McDuffie. Oh, okay. I don't know who Dwight Zimmerman is. Then. So, yeah, Dwight Zimmerman, if if you're uh, a regular listener of the Danger Room, the X-Men comics com- commentary <laughs> podcast. why wouldn't you be? <laughs> can you please let us know what your intention with that issue was? We don't get it. I don't get it either. Yeah, if anybody else it. out there gets it, please let us know. Yeah. Actually, don't bother. I don't care. No, <laughs> I, it's not worth our time to find out. I don't want to imagine the Hulk having with sex with Celine. No, I don't either. Um... Yeah, so there you go. And on that note... I don't have any other things. Do you, Adam? We spent way too much time on the backup of a Marvel Comics Presents. Well, it was baffling. It was baffling, and it was bad. Normally it's a joke, or it's just dumb, and this was both. This was just frustrating. (laughs) 
so. All right. Well, that's everything. Yeah. Well, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. (laughs) 